Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today, on State of the World, hope for the river dolphins of Pakistan. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Monday, January 15th. I'm Christine Arasmith. The world has only six species of dolphins and porpoises that live in fresh water. One of them inhabits Pakistan's Indus River. Fifty years ago, a Swiss scientist counted just 150 of them. But last year, a survey suggested there were now nearly 2,000. Now, one reason for this fragile rebound? The men and women who fish the Indus River, as NPR's Dia Hadid tells us. What is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, baby, baby. A fisherwoman laughs as she points across the water. Gulad Khatun says, there's a little baby, a dolphin baby. It looks like black waves, but she thinks that those are the backs. Ah! Indus River dolphins only come up for brief blips to breathe. I only managed to spot one with Khatun's help. And it's why fisher folk like her are key to reviving their numbers. We see communities reporting dolphins regularly. So, you know, they are like our eyes and ears. Uzma Khan works at the World Wildlife Fund. She says the fisher folk's knowledge is key because this dolphin doesn't live anywhere else in meaningful numbers. She says the dolphins likely ended up in the Indus River Basin as the prehistoric sea they once inhabited receded and the subcontinent emerged with its high mountains and long rivers. So they adapted to living in the Indus. They branched off from much of the rest of the dolphin family between 20 to 30 million years ago. So the Indus River dolphin is an ancient mammal. It's also hard to observe and hard to count. Last year, an expedition to check on their numbers was curtailed because outlaws attacked the researchers. This has been a recurring problem over the years. Here's Khan speaking at a TEDx lecture five years ago. We have our boats shot at. We had our teams taken hostage. So it's the fisher folk who are on the water all day, who are familiar with the dolphins, who know how to navigate around outlaws. They're the ones best placed to observe the dolphins and the risks they face. And this is how they convey their observations. Fishermen who describe themselves as friends of the dolphin come for miles around to gather in a thatched hut by the Indus River to report their latest sightings to a WWF representative. Men sit in one group with a male researcher, women in another group with a female researcher. They're nearly all illiterate, so the reps are here to jot down their observations and ask more questions. No, no. They are vocals. One fisherman recounts seeing a baby dolphin stranded on a rock. A researcher tries to figure out why this might have happened. He asks questions like, was the water polluted? But this is only one of the many risks dolphins are facing in the Indus River these days. Ashik Ali is another veteran fisherman. 
He says some fishermen administer electric shocks in the water, others dump in fertilizer. Both these methods help fishermen catch more fish, but they also harm the dolphins. So we ask, why do you help dolphins instead? NPR producer Vingus translates. We are protecting dolphin because it is a creature of God. The work of the fishermen has come alongside other measures to protect the dolphins. The most important was five decades ago when the government declared them a protected species after word spread that their numbers had dwindled to a few dozen. So since that protection was put in place, the numbers have been slowly creeping up. Gil Brolick is a global expert on the Indus River dolphin. She says there's a but. The species is... Very, very vulnerable, especially because all the animals are in a single river. That means their population is vulnerable to a single catastrophic event, like the spread of a contagious disease or a searing heat wave boiling the water. I'm an optimist, but it is a really precarious situation. Back by the Indus, Khatun, who took me out on the water, tells me helping dolphins comes at a price. The dolphins follow their boats, hoping to grab some of their catch. To keep them safe, she has to keep shifting her nets so they don't get tangled in them, suffocate and die. Doing that means she's got less time to focus on catching fish to take home, a livelihood that supports her, her adult children and her grandchildren. She earns about $7 a day. She says, we get nothing in return and asks, who will help us? Dear Hadid, NPR News, on the Indus River. Our podcast is produced by Greg Dixon. I'm Christine Arasmith. It's the state of the world from NPR. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit sattva.com slash NPR and save an additional $200.